0: Chapter 30, Part 2 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P. T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by phone. Struggles and Triumphs of P. T. Barnum, Chapter 30, In Holland, Part 2. After a truly delightful visit in Holland, we went back to England. And proceeding to manchester opened our exhibition for several days the halls was crowded to overflowing at each of the three and sometimes four entertainments we gave every day by this time my wife and two youngest daughters had come over to london and i hired furnished lodgings in the suburbs where they could live within the strictest limits of economy it was necessary now for me to return for a few weeks to america to assist personally in forwarding a settlement of the clock difficulties So leaving the little general in the hands of trusty and competent agents to carry on the exhibitions in my absence, I set my face once more towards home in the west, and took steamer at Liverpool for New York. The trip, like most of the passages which I have made across the Atlantic, was an exceedingly pleasant one. These frequent voyages were to me the rests, the reliefs from almost unremitting industry, anxiety, and care, and I always managed to have more or less fun on board ship every time across the ocean during the present trip for amusement and to pass away the time the passengers got up a number of mock trials which afforded a vast deal of fun a judge was selected jurymen drawn prisoners arraigned counsel employed and all the formalities of a court established i have the vanity to think that if my good fortune had directed me to that profession i should have made a very fair lawyer for i have always had a great fondness for debate and especially for the cross-examination of witnesses unless that witness was p t barnum in examination under supplementary proceedings at the instance of some note shaver who had bought a clock-note at a discount of thirty-six per cent in this mock court i was unanimously chosen as prosecuting attorney and as the court was established expressly to convict i had no difficulty in carrying the jury and securing the punishment of the prisoner a small fine was generally imposed and the fund thus collected was given to a poor sailor boy who had fallen from the mast and broken his leg after several of these trials had been held a dozen or more of the passengers secretly put their heads together and resolved to place the showman on trial for his life an indictment covering twenty pages was drawn up by several legal gentlemen among the passengers charging him with being the prince of humbugs and enumerating a dozen special counts containing charges of the most absurd and ridiculous description witnesses were then brought together and privately instructed what to say and do two or three days were devoted to arranging this mighty prosecution when everything was ready i was arrested and the formidable indictment read to me i saw at a glance that time and talent had been brought into requisition and that my trial was to be more elaborate than any that had preceded it i asked for half an hour to prepare for my defence which was granted meanwhile seats were arranged to accommodate the court and spectators and extra settees were placed for the ladies on the upper deck where they could look down see and hear all that transpired curiosity was on tiptoe for it was evident that this was to be a long excitement and laughable trial at the end of half an hour the judge was on the bench the jury had taken their places the witnesses were ready the counsel for the prosecution four in number with pens ink and paper in profusion were seated and everything seemed ready i was brought in by a special constable the indictment read and i was asked to plead guilty or not guilty i rose and in a most solemn manner stated that i could not conscientiously plead guilty or not guilty that i had in fact committed many of the acts charged in the indictment but these acts i was ready to show were not criminal but on the contrary worthy of praise my plea was received and the first witness called he testified to having visited the prisoners museum and of being humbugged by the fiji mermaid the nurse of washington and by other curiosities natural and unnatural the questions and answers, having been all arranged in advance, everything worked smoothly. Acting as my own counsel, I cross-examined the witness by simply asking whether he saw anything else in the museum besides what he had mentioned. Oh, yes, I saw thousands of other things. Were they curious? Certainly, many of them very astonishing. Did you witness a dramatic representation in the museum? Yes, sir, a very good one what did you pay for all this twenty-five cents that will do sir you can step down a second third and fourth witness were called and the examination was similar to the foregoing another witness then appeared to testify in regard to another count in the indictment he stated that for several weeks he was the guest of the prisoner at his country residence Iranistan and he gave a most amusing description of the various schemes and contrivances which were there originated for the purpose of being carried out at some future day in the museum how did you live there asked one of the counsel for the prosecution very well indeed in the daytime was the reply plenty of the best to eat and drink except liquors in bed however it was impossible to sleep i rose the first night struck a light and on examination found myself covered with myriads of little bugs so small as to be almost imperceptible by using my microscope i discovered them to be infantile bed-bugs after the first night i was obliged to sleep in the coach-house in order to escape this annoyance of course this elicited much mirth the first question put on the cross-examination was this are you a naturalist sir the witness hesitated in all the drilling that had taken place before the trial neither the counsel nor witnesses had thought of what questions might come up in the cross-examination and now not seeing the drift of question the witness seemed a little bewildered and the counsel for the prosecution looked puzzled the question was repeated with some emphasis no sir replied the witness hesitatingly i am not a naturalist then sir not being a naturalist dare you affirm that those microscopic insects were not humbugs instead of bed-bugs here the prisoner was interrupted by a universal shout of laughter in which the solemn judge himself joined and if they were humbugs i suppose that even the learned counsel opposed to me will not claim that they were out of place they may have been humbugs replied the witness that will do sir you may go said i and at the same time turning to the array of counsel i remarked with a smile you had better have a naturalist for your next witness gentlemen don't be alarmed sir we have got one and we will now introduce him replied the counsel the next witness testified that he was a planter from georgia that some years since the prisoner visited his plantation with a show and that while there he discovered an old worthless donkey belonging to the planter and bought him for five dollars the next year the witness visited iranistan the country-seat of the prisoner and while walking about the grounds his old donkey recognizing his former master brayed whereupon continued the witness i walked up to the animal and found that two men were engaged in sticking wool upon him and this animal was afterwards exhibited by the prisoner as the woolly horse the whole court spectators and even the prisoner himself were convulsed with laughter at the gravity with which the planter gave his very ludicrous testimony what evidence have you i inquired that this was the same donkey which you sold to me the fact that the animal recognized me as was evident from his braying as soon as he saw me are you a naturalist sir yes i am replied the planter with firm emphasis as much as to say you can't catch me as you did the other witness oh you are a naturalist are you then sir i ask you as a naturalist do you not know it to be a fact in natural history that one jackass always brays as soon as he sees another this question was received with shouts of laughter in the midst of which the nonplussed witness backed out of court and all the efforts of special constables and even the high sheriff himself were unavailing in getting him again on the witness stand this trial lasted two days to the great delight of all on board after my success with the naturalist not one half of the witnesses would appear against me in my final argument, I sifted the testimony, analyzed its bearings, ruffled the learned counsel, disconcerted the witnesses, flattered the judge and jury, and when the judge had delivered his charge, the jury acquitted me without leaving their seats. The judge received the verdict and then announced that he should find the naturalist for the mistake he made as to the cause of the donkey's braying, and he should also find the several witnesses who, through fear of the crossfire, had refused to testify the trial afforded a pleasant topic of conversation for the rest of the voyage and the morning before arriving in port a vote of thanks was passed to me in consideration of the amusement i had intentionally and unintentionally furnished to the passengers during the voyage after my arrival in new york oftentimes in passing up and down broadway i saw old and prosperous friends coming But before i came anywhere near them if they espied me they would dodge into a store or across the street or opportunely meet someone with whom they had pressing business or they would be very much interested in something that was going on over the way or on top of the city hall i was delighted at this for it gave me at once a new sensation and a new experience aha i said to myself my butterfly friends i know you now and what is more to the point if i ever get out of this bewilderment of broken clock-wheels i shall not forget you and i heartily thanked the old clock concern for giving me the opportunity to learn this sad but most needful lesson i had a very few of the same sort of experiences in bridgeport and they proved valuable to me mr james d johnson of bridgeport one of my assignees who had written to me that my personal presence might facilitate the settlement of my affairs told me soon after my arrival that there was no probability of disposing of iranistan at present and that i might as well move my family into the house i had arrived in august and my family followed me from london in september and on october twenty eighteen fifty seven my second daughter helen was married in the house of her elder sister mrs d w thompson in bridgeport to mr samuel h hurd meanwhile iranistan which had been closed and unoccupied for more than two years was once more open to the carpenters and painters whom mr johnson sent there to put the house in order he agreed with me that it was best to keep the property as long as possible and in the interval till a purchaser for the estate appeared or till it was forced to auction to take up the clock-notes whenever they were offered the workmen who were employed in the house were specially instructed not to smoke there But nevertheless it was subsequently discovered that some of the men were in the habit occasionally of going into the main dome to eat their dinners which they brought with them and that they stayed there a while after dinner to smoke their pipes in all probability one of these lighted pipes was left on the cushion which covered the circular seat in the dome and ignited the toe with which the cushion was stuffed it might have been days and even weeks before the smouldering tow fire burst into flame I was staying at the Astor House in New York when, on the morning of December 18, 1857, I received a telegram from my brother Philo F. Barnum, dated at Bridgeport, and informing me that Iranistan was burned to the ground that morning. The alarm was given at eleven o'clock on the night of the 17th, and the fire burned till one o'clock on the morning of the 18th. My beautiful Iranistan was gone. This was not only a serious loss to my estate for it had probably cost at least a hundred and fifty thousand dollars but it was generally regarded as a public calamity it was the only building in its peculiar style of architecture of any pretension in america and many persons visited bridgeport every year expressly to see iranistan the insurance on the mansion had usually been about sixty-two thousand dollars but i had let some of the policies expire without renewing them so that at the time of the fire there was only twenty-eight thousand dollars insurance on the property most of the furniture and pictures were saved generally in a damaged state subsequently my assignees sold the grounds and outhouses of iranistan to the late elias howe jr the celebrated inventor of the needle for sewing-machines the property brought fifty thousand dollars which with the twenty eight thousand dollars insurance went into my assets to satisfy clock creditors it was mr howe's intention to erect a splendid mansion on the estate but his untimely and lamented death prevented the fulfilment of the plan the estate in eighteen sixty nine was to be divided among mr howe's three children and in all probability three houses will be built upon the beautiful grounds End of chapter thirty part two